0: space travel and robots, no other theme has been used in science fiction more than virtual reality. We are obsessed with the idea that what we see and touch or feel can be generated by computers, to the point where we can have a virtual life and an offline life. While we haven't realized the utopian or dystopian terrors of true virtual reality yet, pieces of it are working now, and maybe we can know what human life would be like, In a virtual world. This is Fact and Science Fiction. I'm your host, Carly, and this week I'm talking about virtual reality. Virtual reality as a science and as a technological advancement is kind of related to artificial intelligence in that it makes us rethink what we know about consciousness and intelligence and the human brain. So if you haven't listened to the What is Artificial Intelligence episode, um, I definitely recommend going back because it kind of relates to um, virtual reality as well. So my research for this episode mostly came from watching videos on YouTube of scientists discussing um, their work, as well as my knowledge of where virtual reality headsets are today. And um, a new book that came out uh, this fall that I received from my friend Maddie for Christmas It's called Dawn of the New Everything, Encounters with Reality and Virtual Reality. By Jaron Lanier. Jaron Lanier is one of the pioneers of virtual reality who um, came up with virtual reality, who came up with the actual term virtual reality um, in the 1980s. And his book is part memoir, part science writing. I'm not finished with it yet, but the way his book is organized is that the uh, more technical science chapters are kind of interspersed throughout the book. He encourages readers to jump through them. And first of all, I really enjoy books that are nonlinear in nature. I just really enjoy like the tactile experience of of flipping through books and jumping around um, with them. So I really like the format of this book. So um, this podcast is kind of going to jump around a little bit as far as... um, different topics of virtual reality. So uh, let's, let's just dive in. Virtual reality is a huge topic um, in which different parts of the world are in different stages. Um, So when I first thought of virtual reality today, I thought of the headsets that you can get with smartphones that you slide in your phone and you um, wear this headset and you can watch these videos that take you um, into space on a roller coaster uh, in a rainforest and the scene of like rallies or protests or um, some news story. At Six Flags, they have a Um, roller coaster that if you buy a special ticket, you can go on this roller coaster while wearing um, a headset so you can see some sort of augmented scene while you're going on this roller coaster. I didn't purchase it. I get a little too uh, scared on roller coasters to begin with. Didn't want to add not being able to actually see where I was going. um, So I uh, did not pay that money to do that. So going into this, that was kind of my idea of where virtual reality was today, at least in the public arena, the broad um, sense that most people interacted with virtual reality were these headsets in which you watch videos and all 360 and those kinds of things. However, as I was looking more into uh, this episode and watching a lot of videos, um, I realized that um, virtual reality of these headsets have been used in a lot of different contexts, not just for entertainment, but also for therapies, um, to help with PTSD patients, uh, a kind of controlled environment where they can interact with certain scenarios that what they would in real life find triggering, but can kind of slow it down and um, they can work through those issues. I've also seen it used uh, for documentary filmmaking or um, dramatic filmmaking. I've seen journalists use virtual reality goggles to Kind of get their audience there on the ground and uh, say a um, explosion in a market in Syria or um, a food bank line. It kind of helps viewers um, be there and feel empathy for the people that are around them. Even if they don't necessarily look very realistic, it's um, at least the videos that I'd seen, they weren't, you know, it didn't look super realistic, but there was something about, you know, being surrounded 360 with these, uh, these virtual people hearing the sounds that were like from the event. Um, it affected viewers deeply. And um, that was something that they, you know, the reaction that you just can't get oftentimes with reading um a news story or seeing it on cable news, if you could see it in 3D in these virtual reality goggles, it affected people's empathy more. So I thought that was also a interesting use of virtual reality um, other than entertainment. So um, that's kind of where the like broad use of virtual reality is today. Um, it's something that so many companies are working on. So as you could probably tell, um, where virtual reality is in the public now um, isn't what we've seen on in science fiction. We've come a long way, but um, it's not really what we think of when we see in science fiction this virtual reality. So for example, in The Matrix, in which humans are plugged into a machine and they're... Um, avatar or um, mental image of themselves is um, placed in this world that's created like 1999. And um, it is a computer program that they are immersed in. And they don't know that that's not the real world and that their body is actually in a um, that their body is actually imprisoned from the time that they were born. So in that instance, of course, it would it's it's scary and um, it's amazing and huge and but it's not, you know, a, a headset that they put on, obviously. Another example that they I just watched um was the Black Mirror episode San Junipero, uh, in which older people who are in nursing homes or if they're in hospitals and um, close to death, they can, um, log in, um, to a virtual world called San Junipero. It's this beachside town that's, that they can choose which era they want to live in. A character says it's it's like nostalgia therapy for older people. And in that instance, they got to choose, you know, to load, load into that world, um, if they wanted to, they could stay there after they pass on. Um, they could have their afterlife there in San Junipero if they consented to it. And then if they, you know, changed their mind, they could then unplug from San Junipero and and really pass on uh, to, to the afterlife. So... That's just a couple examples of um, sci-fi VR. Another one is uh, the new movie coming out in 2018, Ready Player One, in which it's set in the future, kind of the near future, really. uh, And it's very dystopian, um, very large income inequality, uh, you know, larger than we have now. And uh, to kind of escape People can go into this virtual world, and it's a lot more egalitarian in its idea, um, you know, using currencies that aren't based on, you know, the income of the real world. So that's kind of the idea of virtual reality in science fiction. In Ready Player One, there is a headset, there are gloves, um, they can, they're fully immersed. In it, how they move in real life is how they um, move in the virtual world, which is different than the Matrix and San Junipero in which they're um, placated, they're asleep, um, and then they can have this other life. So what is real virtual reality? Um, Jaron in his book argues that you know, these headsets in which you're just watching a 360 video, and you can turn your head and you can look at the details um, of the video isn't really virtual reality. And if you compare it to, you know, our science fiction ideas of what VR is, I think you would agree. But those 360 videos in which you can look around at all the details, and you can be in this 360 space, you know, sounds is so advanced from what, you know we've seen before, and the fact that you can buy them off the shelves at any time is crazy. But it's not virtual reality so much as just a new way to watch videos, is what Jaron argues. Um, he saw virtual reality as it's an immersive experience. It's also an improvisational experience. You don't just passively watch a video when you're in virtual reality you're supposed to be able to change things it's kind of in our nature as humans to kind of test the boundaries and touch things and um you know feel things and see how they're pliable and and change things if you if you want to um jaron's examples of early vr was he had goggles um sometimes but he also had a glove and so that glove could reach out and pick up a Ball in VR and throw it, and um, you could also play instruments with this, you know, virtual hand, so you could create music in this virtual world, which you know was revolutionary. He calls that virtual reality, and I think that's much more apt. He said that virtual reality is a combination of cinema and programming and jazz. Um, because it's supposed to be interactive and should make you feel things. And it should be improvisational, you should be able to change the virtual reality you're in. Um, It's supposed to be able to kind of anticipate your movements and, and change as you change. Uh, Another thing that he wrote was that it's a verb, not a noun. So like those videos and those headsets, those are nouns. So it's just one thing that you're watching, and you may be able to change the viewpoint, but you're not able to change anything in the video while in real virtual reality, it's doing something. Um, He also compared it to uh, dreaming, like it should be something that you kind of constitute up, um, you know, with your thoughts. So, um, so even though it's not really what we think of as virtual reality, I like to think about movies like Inception, where, you know, people were plugged in uh, to the same dream and uh, the characters could create buildings and create a space just by thinking of it. And so that's kind of like the idea of what virtual reality should be. It should be like lucid dreaming, which lucid dreaming is... Um, it's a real thing in which you're dreaming, but you know you're dreaming so you can change things as they occur, those kinds of things. And so, and people, you know, around are really interested in in having lucid dreams and having the ability to do whatever you want. Um, you know, if you want to fly, you can make yourself fly. This, the things that you'd want to dream about, you could make yourself dream about by practicing this um, lucid dreaming. Um, another movie that uses the concept of lucid dreaming as well as, you know, it's it's something manipulated by science is the film Vanilla Sky. Um, it was really interesting their idea of somebody rich enough, they I think there was definitely a, a class divide, but someone who was, who was rich enough, if they were ready to basically end their life on earth, They could plug into this lucid dreaming state and then, you know, live the life that they would want to. So it was like San Junipero in in that case as well, except they called it lucid dreaming. Uh, In Vanilla Sky, Tom Cruise's character wasn't aware that he was stuck in this lucid dreaming state. He really thought that this was the life he was living. um, And then he had to find out in the end that... No, he was actually plugged into this machine and these memories he's had are something that were constructed for him by this um, company and by his own subconscious. That was kind of taps into some of the fears of virtual reality and some of the scary parts of the Matrix was like, how do you know the reality you're living in is actually real? For example, can you really trust your senses when, in some cases, it's, it's really easy to fool our senses. Uh, I mentioned it in the last episode, just how easy it was to fool um, people into thinking they were chatting with an artificially intelligent or sentient robot, when they were just talking to a chatbot, or a chatting software program. So it's also really easy to trick humans into thinking a virtual body is connected to their to their real body. I just watched a, a video of an experiment in which a, um, a subject is, has both their hands on a table and a um, screen is blocking their left hand. So they can't see their left hand, but in between their hands is a fake rubber hand. Like, it's pink, it, you know, it's huge, it does not look like a real, like, person's hand. And the experimenter is using the paintbrush on the person's left hand behind the screen and the fake hand simultaneously, like, just for a few seconds, just for the subject to get that sensation. And then a second experimenter runs in and stabs that rubber hand with a fork. And instinctually, the subject, you know, will grab their hand away um, in fear. And then they, you know, nervously laugh because, Haha, why did I, why was I afraid of that fork going into that rubber hand when my hand's right here and it's fine. But it's something that it could be replicated over and over again because the subject was feeling that sensation of the paintbrush and seeing a hand, you know, the experimenter putting that brush on that rubber hand. And so there's something that happens in our brain where we just kind of embody that fake hand when we have a sense that's telling us this is what's happening, you can feel it. So this must be your hand. And, and it's that same kind of mental trick that our brains do, that can be, you know, replicated in virtual reality. If you're in this virtual space, and something jumps out at you, you're going to duck. In experiments that uh, Jaron talks about in his book, people who wear those uh, headsets and are put in these virtual worlds as things as animals, not human, like uh, animals with tails, lobsters, like the weirdest stuff. And we can just embody those avatars with really no issue at all, because our senses are telling us that this is the body that you're inhabiting. And these are the things that you see. And so it's really easy to fool humans into um, believing what they see and believing what they feel and, and uh, things like that. So I think that's why virtual reality scares us so much, is because if we can be fooled by simple um, tricks like the rubber hand, then a you know virtual reality world that looks real, how do we know that it's not real and that we're not just plugged into something? Scientists and philosophers have kind of uh, disproven the idea that we're just living in a big fishbowl, or a planetarium. Um, that were plugged into the matrix just because the sheer processing power that would be required for that um, makes it extremely unlikely. Also, if you need another argument, uh, I think Jaron has a really good one is that as we get better virtual reality, you know, we get better at kind of poking holes in it. So for example, like when he talked about his early experiences using VR, you know, it made him appreciate reality way more as soon as he would t- take it off. Like he could notice how, you know, his eyes move and how he can see and feel and, um, and appreciate uh, just the, the beauty of the real world. And so, as virtual reality will get better, um, we would then still be able to tell the difference between virtual reality and um, reality. Now, he did say if we were to go back in time and and give a person, you know, a hundred years ago an Oculus Rift, they would probably be fooled. Um, but because we keep growing. The technology and seeing the different versions, we would get better at picking out what's wrong with it. So, now let's talk about kind of the ethics involved in virtual reality. Obviously, it's bad to plug in people without their knowledge and consent. You know, you don't want to live in the matrix. At least you would hope people wouldn't plug us into the matrix without our knowledge and consent. That's the hope. But that's the you know hypothetical science fiction version of virtual reality, um, but I want to talk about the ethics of virtual reality today. Jaron talks about how um, virtual reality can be the most beautiful thing and it could be the creepiest thing. It just depends on how people use it and um, if they're given free reign and no regulations. You know, there really isn't an incentive to, to not abuse virtual reality. And I'll talk about how that might happen in a second. But Jaron says that right now, virtual reality um, is, and, and new technology like it, like artificial intelligence is, is based on the advertising models and trying to get human users to to buy what they're selling. And so... Uh, If you know about advertising, then you know there's a dark side to it. For example, like making people feel unsatisfied with their lives um, so that they will buy. In an interview with The Verge, Jaren says that negative emotions kind of uh, make you more open to buying things than positive emotions. For example, like caring what other people think about you, not being satisfied with your life as it is, like those kinds of emotions that um, a lot of advertising models want to instill in you. And so you'll, you'll buy a product or use a product. And right now, um, you know, he says that virtual reality and those tech companies are like Facebook just bought Oculus Rift, like those, they are using those advertising models to get you to use Facebook. Um, like using algorithms, you know, using ads and um, making you only see posts that will make you feel those negative emotions like that. So that's a bad sign, he says, and I believe that progressing virtual reality based on those advertising models, not on something as like, we can share this experience, we can Um, collaborate and improvise and create this beautiful world together, um, you know, making it more egalitarian. By not choosing that, that's kind of when we go to the dark side of VR. A good way to see that happening now is in social media. Social media is a, a new media form that kind of popped up in the last 10 years. And that's kind of our example of where Um, virtual reality would go from from there. And just uh, seeing how uh, social media, like I said, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's all based on algorithms now that increase those negative emotions that make you more tribal. Um, Jaron says that tribalism is kind of ruining social media and it's making these positive social movements have like negative backlashes because of it and then they can all find each other on these social media pages um it's kind of a balance of these algorithms show you stuff from people who think like you and then show you stuff from people that will make you mad because um you know these social media platforms know that if you're mad, you'll stay on this platform longer. Or outraged—it's not so much mad, but you know, full of of outrage. So we kind of divide ourselves into us versus them, um, and and that's the kind of thing that he's worried about with virtual reality. If you only um, interact with, or you only expose yourself to the virtual reality that confirms your beliefs, or that doesn't challenge your beliefs, and stuff like that, then it's just going to divide us further. So that's kind of the the dark side of VR. Another kind of issue that I hadn't really thought about, but it's kind of popping up more, is, um, and it's kind of related to social media, is if you do something in social media, or on the internet or in this virtual world, um, does it really count as a crime? Um, so we have a lot of that issue with harassment. So, you know, this person is, you know, thousands of miles away from you, but they still make you feel unsafe in your own home. Does that count? Can you call the police and report this person for harassment? Um, You know, can you have a restraining order from someone, you know, who lives, you know, a country away? Um, Another case that uh, Girlfriend of the Pod just brought up was that um, in World of Warcraft, somebody's um, account was hacked. And this person, this hacker, stole all of these items that, you know, this cash that was built up with real money with game money, but was definitely a resource that this person owned. And even though it was virtual and could that person be charged for stealing for, you know, robbery and the courts decided that yes, it can be. So that probably sets a precedent for, you know, the virtual world and you being held accountable for the for your actions in this virtual world. And so that's a really interesting um, topic that we'll see more about, I'm sure. So like everything I talk about, I I hope you're kind of getting the the gist of the themes of this podcast that, you know, nothing is all good or all bad, um, or at least no technology or no science, but Um, It can definitely be abused and can definitely um, have its dark side. I hope that this episode has kind of put in context like what exactly virtual reality is and what it could be. Um, It's definitely doing a lot of good. Like I said, it's used in therapies. It's used to put people in the place of, you know, powerful news stories and, and powerful documentaries. And I think using it as a new film medium is, um, innovative and definitely interesting. Uh, but I feel like the, the goal of having an interactive space where you can inhabit another body, another city, another world, and, and move within it and and touch and feel things, um, is is the most exciting part of virtual reality as a field. Um, I'm worried that you know private companies like Facebook are still going to try and just monopolize it and um, and and use it just like a, a product, not as an as a you know f- possible art form. So. Um, So again, be cautious, but be optimistic and and learn more about the exciting field. I definitely recommend uh, Dawn of the New Everything. Thank you to Maddie for giving me this book. I'm so glad I had it before recording this episode. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Pocket Casts, wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact and Sci-Fi. Check out other content at factandsci-fi.blogspot.com. And lastly, thanks for listening.